0: and welcome everyone good to see you my name is tim harris i'm pastor here at woodburn baptist church and delighted to welcome you here it's so good that you're here welcome 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 all of you in the cafe god bless you guys welcome you kenton powell thanks for jumping in this morning and uh, taking the place of matt betts matt and don betts are leading worship and preaching at uh, one of our church partners ecclesia this morning so god bless ecclesia and matt and don there i made it very very clear that matt and don are on loan for one week only at at ecclesia Uh, but uh we, we love you guys Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, a familiar story. This is a story of the wee little man named Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, the the wee little man. It's a familiar story, but it's a rather amazing story as it falls in the gospel of Luke. So let's take a look at it this morning, even as we continue thinking about what it means for us to live lives on mission. I'm trying to make it really, really clear uh, throughout this year and, and, and forever that, that it is that Christ doesn't just want our, our church life, our Sunday morning life. He wants our life life. You are living a, a life on mission. Very, very simply, when you walk with Jesus, you share his mission. When you walk with Jesus, you share his mission. And his mission is made very, very clearly in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Go ahead and look at it. We're going to read it later, but here's what it says. The Son of Man has come to do what? To, to seek... And save that which was lost. Jesus had one mission, one mission only—to seek and save that which was lost. So when you begin to walk with Jesus, you share that mission. You now uh, adopt His purpose, and you assume uh, that, that you're going to share in the work that He's doing in the world. And His work is always, always to seek and to save the lost. So that is now your purpose. That is your mission in life. It's Christ's mission. But here's the thing, and this is is a very important part of the gospel of Luke. It has to do with the kind of person who wants to be around Jesus, wants to maybe walk with Jesus, but not share that purpose. Whenever you try to do that, honestly, at that point, you just get in the way. When you try to associate yourself with Jesus, but you will not share his mission, you will not share his work, then you become an obstacle to his mission, an obstacle to the gospel. The old folks used to say, you may be the only Bible that some people ever read. You ever heard that? You may be the only Bible that some people read. Let's think about what that means as we look at the story of Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It's good stuff. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Now, if you were here last week or if you listened or or watched last week, you remember that I preached the the, the sermon of the the rich young ruler. That's only, uh, gosh, that's here, and Zacchaeus is here in Scripture. So Luke puts these stories right together. So last week, we talked about the rich man who comes to Jesus and has that price tag moment. He recognized that that following Jesus was probably going to cost more than he was willing to to pay. So he walks away sadly. All right. So pay attention right here. Right after that story, we have a story of another rich man. Zacchaeus is probably richer than the rich young ruler. He's probably richer. He's like the head of the IRS. Do you see that? Chief tax collector. So here's another rich man, a very, very rich man who's going to meet Jesus and it's going to be a very, very different, very different outcome. So. Back to uh, verse 3. Zacchaeus tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I I, I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the crowd, the people, were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham for the son of man has come to say it seek and save those who are lost the son of man has come to seek and to save those who are lost it's a problem to be short if the person next to you is short don't look at it now make it feel awkward it, it, it but it's it's you know their little feet aren't touching the floor on the pew, but don't don't make that awkward for them it's It's problem to be short i I guess and Zacchaeus knew the problems of being short he'd been short all of his life that means that all of his life, if he bought jeans, his mama had to, you know, go to the sewing machine and, and take about a foot off of them. He had to get them big enough to go around, but that was always too long for his, you know, little sawed-off legs. And so, um, mama always had to, uh, you know, to adjust. I apologize. Was that offensive? I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> This is tough being short when he would go to Myers to get Gatorade. He could never get like the blue Gatorade because it's always on the top shelf at at Myers. And so he always just, you know, got this stuff on the bottom shelf, you know, because it's just awkward to climb, you know, the shelves at the grocery store. Um, but understand in in, in this passage, in this context, Zacchaeus' problem is not that he's short. No, we sing this song, if you grew up in Sunday school, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. I mean, we make the story all about the fact that he's short, but that, that is not his problem. And you need to see that. In the Gospel of Luke, if, if you read through Luke's account of Jesus' ministry, there's a very interesting theme. And once you learn to see it, it's rather hard not to see anymore. In Luke, whenever Jesus moves, whenever Jesus teaches, whenever Jesus is anywhere in public, he is surrounded by what, what Luke calls the crowd. The, the people associated with Jesus, the people who seem to travel with Jesus, it's, it's, it's the crowd. But in Luke's gospel, the crowd around Jesus is always the problem, Zacchaeus' problem is not that he is short. Zacchaeus' problem is the crowd around Jesus. He can't get to Jesus because of the crowd. Now, in the story right before Zacchaeus' story, in in chapter 18, Jesus heals a blind beggar. And you can read through that story and, and see as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of the crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus was going by. So he started shouting, Jesus, son of David have mercy on me. He's shouting, Jesus have mercy on me. And the crowd turns around and says, shut that up, shut up. They tell him to be quiet. It's the crowd. It's the crowd that blocks the way. It's the crowd that is the obstacle. Now, you and I need to take that very, very seriously because whether or not you've ever thought about it, we are that crowd. We are the people who associate ourselves with Jesus. We are the people who claim to walk with him, but, but at any rate, we always somehow associate ourselves with him. We are that crowd. We are the people around Jesus right here in this setting every Sunday and on every day of our lives. If you take the name of Jesus, you are a part of that crowd. You are the people who are with with Jesus, those who surround him. So the question becomes, if the people who really want to see Jesus, if all they ever see is you, will they ever see anything of Jesus? It goes back to the, you may be the only Bible that some people ever read. Where's that going to leave some people? If they're counting on you, if they really, really want to get to Jesus, but they get as far as you, will your life, will your words, will that make them want to continue to draw near to Jesus? Or will your life, your words, turn them away? In the Gospel of Luke, it's the crowd that nearly always makes people just want to give up and quit. It's too hard to get to Jesus if you've got to get through that crowd. Do you understand? This college dude. Decided to invite this girl that he met in class to church with him. She had never, ever been to church in, in her life. And in and, and talking with her, he realized that. He really wasn't trying to date her. He just really sort of felt for her. She was just one of those lost, broken souls. And he really wanted her to know Jesus, so he brought her to his church. Now, she had never stepped foot in anybody's church ever. But she had some basic idea about what church was like, and one of the things that she knew is you're supposed to dress up. She had that in her head, that people who go to church dress up, and so she knew that she should probably wear the best that she had, but now, y'all, listen, she's not a church girl, and the only dress that she owned was the dress that she wore when she went dancing, and that was this little black strapless thing, but she didn't know. And it's the best she had, and it's the only dress she had. So she put on the best she had and went to church thinking that she was doing what she was supposed to do. But when she got to church, she sort of quickly realized that a little black dancing, strapless things aren't what the church ladies wear. And and the church ladies made that pretty clear by the way they stared at her. Very, very quickly, she realized that she, she had... She had She was wrong. She she had done this wrong. Do you think she was ever going to be eager to come back? There was a couple named David and Joni. Joni had grown up in church but had gotten out of church. But she always told herself that when she, she ever... When she ever had a baby, she'd come back to church. If they had children, they come back to church. I was just sort of in her head. We'll, I'll get back to church when, when I have a baby. But Dave and Joni got married. They they were blessed to be pregnant. They had a baby. It was born with a horrible birth defect. It was called anencephaly, which basically means their baby was born with, without a whole brain. And the doctors told them that the baby couldn't survive. And so literally they thought that she would die within hours, but she didn't. She, she lived a while, she, she lived a while. And part of her defect. She had this open place at the very base of her skull where you could see tissue. She never opened her eyes, nothing like that. She did learn to drink from a bottle. She, she lived a while, but they knew that she wouldn't live long. So David and Joni just decided that that as long as they had her, they were going to enjoy her. And they were going to live as full a life with their daughter as they could for as long as they could. And they knew it was just days. Joni had always told herself when she had a baby, she'd go back to church. And so David and Joni, one Sunday, they packed up their little baby and took her to church. And they put her in the nursery because that's what nurseries are for. The next Sunday, they were getting ready to come to church, and the phone rang, and it was one of the nursery workers who called Joni. And again, this is a church that Joni had grown up in. She'd been out for a while, but she knew these people. It was a polite call, but the the lady just wanted Joni to know that her little baby really wasn't going to be welcome in the nursery again. Joni said, why? They said, well... Most of the nursery workers were a little bit uncomfortable with that place on the back of her head. And Joni said, it's, I cover that. Every morning I clean, I dress that. You don't have to do anything with that. It's covered. He said, well, it's, it's, it's more than that, actually. We're just afraid that your baby will die in the nursery, and, and that would be traumatic for our nursery workers. Your baby might die, and it could be traumatic for our nursery workers. Joni said that the church people managed to do what she thought was impossible, and that was to take the worst time of their life and make it worse, you know, to take the deepest pain they'd ever felt and somehow make that worse. I don't know if you're paying a lot of attention to the world around us, but in the world around us, church people don't have a really high reputation for much. If we're the only Bible that some people are reading, then some people are in a lot of trouble because to be real honest, a lot of us don't read the Bible either. We're not reading it either. And if we're reading it, we're not living it out very well. So if they're reading the book of our lives and somehow associating that with Jesus or associating that with what the scriptures say, God help them. But because if they're looking to us to see something of Jesus, some people will never see very much of Jesus looking at at us. Do you understand Zacchaeus' problem is not that he is short. Zacchaeus' problem is that he wants to get to Jesus, but he can't get to Jesus because Jesus is surrounded by people, surrounded by people who honestly aren't getting to Jesus either. They just got there early and got all the best seats. You understand, they're not interested in walking with Jesus or following Jesus or sharing his mission. They're not. They're not. But they are taking up the space. They are there associating themselves with Jesus, but in such a way where all they manage to do is see to it that nobody else ever gets close to Jesus. Meanwhile, they're not very close to Jesus either. Do you understand the dilemma here? When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now stop. I must be a guest in your home. What does that even mean? I must. Yeah, he, he, he's in the city. He's passing through. And all of a sudden, Jesus speaks as if, Zacchaeus, you're the whole reason I'm here. Zacchaeus, I must be at your, at your house today. It's like they have an appointment. It's like that everything in the world is lined up to bring him to Zacchaeus's house today. And Zacchaeus apparently wasn't expecting company. But you understand, it's Jesus' mission. He's a man on a mission. And because of that, nothing is accidental. Nobody he passes along the way. Short people dropping out of trees, that's not even an accident. You understand? Jesus says, you're the reason. I must be a guest in your house today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Do you see that? Jesus' great joy, Zacchaeus' great excitement and joy. This is fantastic, except in verse 7 it says the crowd, the people, are displeased. The people are displeased. Somehow. This amazing, amazing event where Zacchaeus is in the tree and Jesus knows him by name. Never been formally introduced. He knows him by name. He knows this man. I must be at your house today. Zacchaeus comes down, man, his little legs just to fly and he comes down and he's so excited. Jesus is coming to his house. There is such excitement and joy except with the people. For some reason, this flies straight up their nose, and I don't understand why. What is their problem? What is their problem? How is it even their business? Did you understand? But somehow, this just really doesn't please them, which brings me to another point about Jesus's mission. When you share Jesus's mission, you will share his joy when the lost get found you will share that joy when you see lost people getting found by Jesus when you find people that that were far away from Jesus that start to take steps toward him that's going to thrill your soul That's going to excite you because once you understand that Jesus' mission is your mission, then all of a sudden the things that make Jesus' heart joyful will be the same things that make your heart joyful. It's probably a bad sign for you when you have no feelings whatsoever about lost people coming back to know the Lord. That's probably a bad sign. It would be a bad sign for our church if there's anything in the world that makes us happier than lost people coming to Jesus. You understand? I mean, we could get new carpet, and some of you'd have your iPhones out taking picture like you'd never seen carpet, you know? And if some of you really wouldn't like the color, no matter what color we pick, you know? It would be like the biggest thing in the world that could happen would be something with this carpet. Am I right? But now if you got lost people coming in and out of the house and lost people coming to a small group Bible study and, and taking a step toward knowing Christ or, or we have water in the baptistry and somebody gets baptized and confesses faith in Jesus, you know, if that doesn't somehow become more important to you than the carpet or the piano or the drums or the parking lot, if the most important things to you are not the most important things to Jesus, that's probably a bad sign. When you share Jesus' mission, you will share his joy when the lost get found. The people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Okay, first off, again, compare that to last week's story, the rich young ruler who finds out that following Jesus may cost him some money, and he just says, oh, and goes away sadly, the price tag moment. Notice at this point with Zacchaeus, nobody said a word about his money, but when salvation comes, when he meets Jesus, just spontaneously, I mean, his life, I mean, spontaneously, the changes, whatever changes need to be made, Zacchaeus makes them with joy. But here's the other part here, and this is kind of interesting. All the people say he's going to be the guest of a sinner. As if in Jericho there was only one. (laughs) He's going to be the guest of a sinner. They don't know him. Jesus calls him by name. They don't know him. Now, they don't like him. They they know everything they need to know not to like him. He's the tax collector, which makes them hate him. Nobody likes paying taxes. And in Jesus's day, taxes, especially for the Jewish people, were especially despised. And the tax collectors were especially despised. They were considered traitors to their own people. And they were almost universally dishonest. It was assumed that they were dishonest, that, that the only way that they would make a lot of money is if they took a cut above what the government was taking. So he'd add to your taxes so he could put that money in his pocket. And he had all of the enforcement of Rome behind him to make sure that you paid. There was a shakedown, no, no question. Most of the tax collectors were very, very dishonest. But does that mean they all were? The fact that you know something about some tax collectors, does that mean you know everything about this one? That's where it gets complicated. That verse right there in verse 8 is actually kind of controversial for Bible scholars because we don't know exactly how to interpret it. And it has to do with the tense of the verbs. If you flash them back to English class with me, grammar class, it's the tense of the verbs. Because what it literally says is, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, here and now, I give half my wealth to the poor. And if I cheat people, I give back four times as much. So what Zacchaeus could be saying is, I'm not dishonest. This is what I do. This is my practice. I already give half of my money to the poor. He could be saying that, you all. And if I find out that I've inadvertently cheated somebody, I immediately pay them back four times. So it is very possible with the authority of this text that Zacchaeus is not who you think he is. He's a sinner, sure is everything, but that doesn't mean you know everything about him. Doesn't mean necessarily he's been a dishonest tax collector. This might be a good one, you understand? So you don't know everything you think you know about him. You don't know everything you think you know about anybody. And when the people say, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner… What they make very, very plain is they don't seem to know a whole lot about their own selves. That day, Jesus was guaranteed to have lunch with sinners because that's the only kind of people there are, y'all. That's the only kind of people there are. No matter where he goes, White Castle, I mean, if you walk in to White Castle or you walk into Rafferty's, you're going to be having lunch with sinners because that's the only kind of people there are. It is not that some of us are sinners and some of us are not. That's not what makes us different. It is not that some of us are sinners and some of us are not. The truth is some of us are saved while some of us are not. But we're all still sinners. At the end of this story, we're talking about all sinners, Zacchaeus is a sinner, and all the people in the crowd, they are sinners. The difference is salvation comes to one man's house, and his name is Zacchaeus. At the end of the story, we're all still talking about sinners, but Zacchaeus is a saved sinner. That makes all the difference. In Scripture, whenever you have somebody like this named... It usually means in the early church, they knew him. Like earlier, I mentioned the story of the blind beggar. We don't have his name. So chances are nobody, he didn't continue to be a person that, that people would know and meet. But, but the fact that Luke says Zacchaeus, it's just probably the testimony of somebody that they knew in the church. According to tradition, Zacchaeus went on to become the bishop of Caesarea, he became like a Pastor. This would be his his testimony. So honestly, you know the story about the wee little man, but that doesn't mean you know a whole lot about this guy. You don't know him like Jesus knows him. You don't know anybody like Jesus knows. And nobody knows you like Jesus knows you. But the bottom line is, Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. And if you were going to walk with Jesus, then that becomes your mission too. I just wonder where that leaves the people for whom you're the only Bible they read. If they were just listening to your words if they were just to watch your actions, if you're the only Bible that they're actually reading, would you be leading them toward Christ? Would you attract them in such a way where they would want to know more about him? Or would they take one look at you and me and walk away? In the Gospel of Luke, it's the crowd that gets in the way. They, they they stand near Jesus, but they won't go to him. They won't walk with him, and therefore nobody else can get to him and walk with him either. If you're gonna walk with Jesus, you're gonna share his mission. And if you will not share his mission, you are an obstacle. There are people who cannot come to Jesus because they can't get around the contradictions of your life. So if you and I have the mission of seeing that the lost get found, sinners get forgiven, then we must be much, much more like Christ. We must somehow live lives where people can look at us And see him. One mission. To seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus' purpose was. It's your purpose too. Pray with me. God, there are people who tell horrible stories about church people all the time, stories about hypocrites and churches that are not welcoming, and church people who are mean and racist, intolerant, judgmental, where the thing is, the way most people think about the church is, is very, very distant from the way Jesus is. The heart that people see in us is very, very cold compared to the beating and beautiful heart of Jesus, Lord. Help us. Lord, let it never be that people who want to know Jesus look at us and lose their interest in Jesus. Let it never be that people look at the flaws and faults in us and assume that those flaws and faults belong to Jesus. Jesus will you take hold of our lives in such a way where we will be like this stained glass window behind me where the light still shines through lord jesus let your light shine through us that people can see past us through us and see the light of jesus lord there are people in this room today who really need to take a step closer to you i I pray that because they have been here with us they will want to know more about you oh jesus I i pray that by the way we love and welcome People will genuinely feel loved and welcomed by you, oh Jesus. I pray, Lord, that by the way we forgive and love and show mercy, that others will know that there is a merciful and loving and forgiving God. Lord Jesus, make the mission of this church plain and important and priority, Lord. Make it so that we care about nothing more than to seek and save the lost. We are all sinners, Lord, but some of us are saved sinners. So help us, Lord, to show others how they can know the Savior. We pray these things in his precious name.